Welcome to Our Social Impact, brought to you by the Prison Scholar Fund. Its mission provides education and employment assistance to help those currently and formerly incarcerated succeed and thrive in society while avoiding homelessness and the revolving door of reincarceration. The PSF also advocates for reform in correctional education to increase opportunity for all. As a nonprofit, we rely on investments, volunteers, and are always looking for board members to champion our mission. Please connect with us through our website at prisonscholars.org, where you can find volunteer opportunities, make a contribution, and learn about becoming a board member. You can also send an email to info at prisonscholars.org. Find us through most social media platforms at Prison Scholars. Become a patron by supporting us directly at Patreon with at Prison Scholars. Without further ado, here's Dirk Van Belzen, founder and CEO of the Prison Scholar Fund. Welcome to our social impact. Today from the YouTube studios, we have Trevor Weisler and Michelle DiGilio. Thank you so much for joining our podcast. Thank you. So let's kind of start it off with Michelle. How did you, how did we end up connecting? So, um... We both work at Google, Trevor and I, and I was looking at opportunities on Google Serve, which is Google's kind of website for Googlers who want to get involved with volunteer organizations or nonprofits. And there are a lot of listings about, you know, building, helping build like a garden for a community or painting a school. And they were all sort of, most of them are these one-off occasions um, that you'd volunteer for a weekend or so. Um, I was really looking to get involved with something more long-term um, so I can build that relationship with the organization and have it be a message that I support. Um, and that's where I found PSF and I saw that Trevor was a contact so I reached out and he put me in touch with Dirk. A lot of times people in the tech field they'll volunteer to paint fences or do gardening because they really want to unplug their coding all day, they're doing computer work all day. So when they volunteer they want to do the complete opposite of what they do in the office. Mm -hmm. But then I, I notice a lot of Googlers, specifically, they actually want to volunteer their expertise. Yeah, I, you know, I work in people ops, which is like Google's HR um, branch, and I work mostly with people. Um, that's kind of my expertise. And then I was also learning AdWords, which is Google's marketing platform um, to help companies advertise. <laughs> yeah, that's what you're doing for us. You're our AdWords guru. Yeah. So <laughs> it sounds like you, you did HR first, but you're kind of learning AdWords on the job. So are, are we kind of, you're cutting your teeth on AdWords with us? Um, I, I mean, I find, I find it interesting. It's not uh, a, essential to my job, but it's something I like to do on the side. So I'm learning about, you know, marketing and growth strategies. I'm learning about how to manage AdWords campaigns effectively. So you already had a passion for AdWords and we're just kind of helping you scratch that itch? It, yeah, it was, it was perfect. Perfect. <laughs> So I know that we have AdWords, and it's terribly complicated, which is why we need help. Yeah. Uh, what do you do with AdWords? And how yeah. do you make it work for us? So our goal with PSF in the AdWords campaign is you know, getting as many people who are interested in prison reform, social justice, um, who have maybe heard about us, find out more, um, kind of join our listserv, find out more about us, uh, hopefully donate, um, and even reach mentors or inmates who um, want to get involved. So how about you, Trevor? We've, uh, we've known each other for about two years. 
Yeah, yeah, I think it's been since uh, early 2018. Um, and at the time was working with YouTube and very- Hence our connection here. Yeah, hence our connection <laughs> here to the studio um, in a very technical role. Um, I really liked what I was doing at work, but wanted maybe more of a different outlet and uh, volunteering seemed like a good route to go. Uh, and like Michelle, I looked on Google Serve. I think PSF at the time, the Google Serve posting was also buried deep under there. I remember a long, um, almost essay format post, but uh, it really drew me in because I saw there's so much, so many different opportunities within that posting. And like Michelle was saying, it wasn't just a one-off, um, one-off sort of volunteering opportunity. Um, and definitely looking to build a longer-term relationship, um, which I, I think yeah. we have now. She uses a pretty good relationship. Exactly. So when you're looking for us, did, you kind of, did the robot help you find us, or did, did you <laughs> search specifically for prisoner education? I actually, I think what drew me in was mentoring. I think that okay. was the key word. I remember what your first role was. Was a mentor? No, no. So first role was uh, processing PSF applications okay. into Salesforce, yeah. which um, <laughs> I think you assigned me maybe 20 or 30, and I got through maybe 10. How, how terrible was that? Uh, it's pretty brutal. Yeah. It was pretty tough. Um, but I, I, not that it made much impact, but I definitely saw room to build out the template, which I tried to implement on the website. Um, and then that actually got me more thinking about how we needed more Googlers to help. Um, so I updated some of the postings on Google Serve, which drew in volunteers like Michelle, um, a few others. And then uh, we did the Google Tech Talk. Not the best showing, but... But we had one. But we had one, yeah. <laughs> and um, I think every, you know, it really just takes convincing one more person to keep the ball rolling and yeah. help out. What do you like? What, what resonated with the Princeton Scholar Fund to hook you? really the opportunity to mentor and I didn't see any other volunteering opportunity where you could help someone that wanted a second chance. Um, that's what drew me in. Uh, anyone that any prison scholar fund has to apply for funding through the PSF through an application process. Um, so that alone showing that an inmate, yeah, they, uh, maybe they, they made a mistake in whatever past judgment they, they, regret that and now they're looking towards their future and want to seek education and why can't we why can't we help them do that what else are they doing in prison yeah. well, it seems like education would be a great um, outlet for them help society out and then all the stats around recidivism rates uh, being reduced um, PSF fills all those all those niches so have you ever, have you ever met any prisoners before I guess yeah, I guess more in college. Um, I've had classes where I've had guest speakers and I've gotten to talk to them after their presentation. One of the coolest speakers I had in my law and psychology class um, back in school was the first man, I forget his name, the first man to be exonerated um, with DNA evidence. Really? Yeah. So Who absolutely awesome speaker. First man in America? The first man in America. Wow. Yeah. Um, and he was serving, I believe, a life sentence for a heinous um, crime. So uh, he did serve a decent amount of time. I don't know the exact. Decent I don't want to just It was at least a decade. Yeah. Um, I can look up more about him, but he served time. That's got to be tough. Yeah. Like in my case, you know, I did 15 years, but because I did the crime. <laughs> so it's easier to kind of like 
do that when you know that you're there for a reason, mm -hmm. or like the reason you created. I guess you could look at it a couple different ways, though. Like in America, maybe I do 15 years. If I lived in the Netherlands, I do 18 months. Mm -hmm. So, huh. you know, when you say, oh, he's system impacted, what does that mean? It's like, well, our system over incarcerates and they give longer sentences. Yeah, it seems like one of the big things, especially with drug crimes, are the mandatory sentencing, um, like, ranges, that there's, there's like, a tough minimum that judges have to sentence if you're found guilty, yeah. and there's not much leeway. Well, Dirk, I'm also curious, I, I mean, when you were in prison and talking to other inmates, um, did you ever feel that maybe you had been given an unfair sentence compared to another inmate who maybe seemed to have committed more of a crime or, or less of a crime and you were sort of questioning the the sentence time compared with the crime? Did you find yourself questioning that? And I guess in, in some ways, yeah, I remember talking to a guy, he got convicted of manslaughter. He was sentenced to 11 years, and I think he ended up doing like eight. But, you know, he, he killed someone or he took a life. So if you can kind of compare, like, he removed a living person from the earth and he did eight years, and I just broke into warehouses and stole some things in, in boxes. And so I, I basically got 25 years, but after, you know, good time, I, I do 15. So you yeah. can kind of look at it like, what's really, yeah. who, you know, who decides what a, a just sentence is? Mm -hmm. um, I can imagine being 22 or... Going to clubs, you ecstasy, Situations whatever. like that, yeah. Um, and I could see how that goes from, you don't really think you're doing anything bad until you're being arrested and then you have years ahead of you for a crime where really yeah you were endangering society there's no arguing that if you're driving especially but um it's a, aside from yourself it's almost victimless I, I, yeah it's it's tough to draw the line between okay well, i mean in california we've basically legalized marijuana yeah. um so it's tough to say okay marijuana is okay maybe this is okay oh but now this isn't okay yeah how who determines that mm -hmm. I, that's kind of up in the air and when it gets political then it's just yeah anything, anything could happen and now you have whole industries built around alcohol and marijuana yeah um, for question for you Dirk. so have you with PSF, you're you're obviously focused on applicants and getting a good pool of applicants coming in through applications through PSF website. Um, now, have you established? Are there what's what's the relationship like with different colleges that are willing to offer courses to all the applicants that are coming into the PSF? Because is it is it a challenge state by state to find one university that will commit to funding x many applicants, or um, is there one university that can commit across all states what what challenges have you found in getting it's almost like funders of the ps funders of education not the actual donation funders but education providers to the psf yeah so the the education providers there's a few schools that do the paper-based distance education like yep. adam state university ohio <clears throat> so these are courses are paper-based in nature so you really do them for the, through the mail you get your textbooks you get your study guides you do it through the mail, which takes forever. Mm -hmm. And that's the same system we've had for probably 100 years. Um, and there's only a few colleges that still do that, do the paper-based stuff. Mm -hmm. But they don't fund it. That's where, that's our role. And, of course, we want to bring in a hybrid online program. And Arizona State University's got a great one. Western's Governor's University, Washington State University. I went to Penn State. They have a really great online program. Are those ones reasonably priced? No, so they're okay. very expensive. Uh, ASU... They're all over fifteen grand, but ASU actually, they might do some discounted tuition rate for prisoners. 
but still, first we have to pay for those programs, which are very expensive, and then we have to you know partner with a, a prison where we can bring that in. Yeah. And that's a different issue because even though it's a hybrid online program, where it's because the prisoners can't be online, we have to adapt it for the offline environment. You're kind of mixing two different cultures. Like the, the culture of people running prisons is really risk averse; they're not tech savvy. And then you try to mix it in with bringing these uh, online courses. That's really tough thing to do. But I mean, oh. what do you think are the challenges? That like, why are some schools kind of like rejecting this proposal? Oh, they're not really. Rege- you mean the prisons? Um, like working with colleges to to work with prisons. Oh, that's actually pretty pretty. The colleges don't really reject it. Really. Yeah, it's like either the college has a paper-based program, which is already established, and we mm-hmm. just pay for it and they go, or they have the online program, which we have to adapt and bring in. But it's the gotcha. price still yeah, it's is ridiculous. Oh, okay. Like, oh, yeah, so the reason the pricing thing is an issue is some states can't do differential pricing. Like, and we tried that in Washington, mm-hmm. and the deal was, I think Washington is about fifteen grand a year for a student. And then we were kind of talking to the people running the programs, and we actually found out the marginal cost of a new student for an online program is pretty small. But the state can't, or the, wa- the university can't bring it, bring that price down because if mm-hmm. they did, they would kind of signal to the legislature that maybe it doesn't really have to be fifteen grand, and they had most of their money from the state. Gotcha. But I would think that it's such a such a small proportion of students that they would be reducing costs for. I would think it wouldn't make too big of a you would think so difference in the bucket and yeah, drop yeah. in the bucket. How can you expect to, you serve your sentence, you've already missed so many years, uh, and then you're competing in a workforce where, you know, there's a new college grad who hasn't been in prison and competing could maybe be competing even for the same job as an ex-con, even with a college degree. I think that alone, just being the ex, ex-inmate, um, that's, that's going against you yeah. compared to someone who just has a normal college degree. But then on top of that, I mean, a lot, of, I would imagine age becomes a factor too, because if you've served five, mm-hmm. 10 years and you're probably uh, competing for what could be just above an entry level position with a college degree, yeah. mm-hmm. um, you're, it's, uh, that's a huge bias against yeah. you. And, and even as an HR person, you, you see that gap in the employment history that, that raises questions. Yeah, it does. I know the on the on the bright side, the small bright side is a lot of companies are shifting to get rid of the box so that there's no prior knowledge of knowing if you were convicted of a crime. A lot yeah. of tech companies. Um, are Google, we one of them? I believe Google is. All right. Yeah. yeah. So what led you to Google? What, what was your your background? Educational interests? Yeah, I was studying. I went to Cornell, so upstate New York, Ithaca, um, and I was studying business more specifically HR, um, how labor is in the context of business. Um, So very labor employee focused. Um, Through that, I got to study a lot of law classes, psychology classes, um, political science. And so I kind of gathered a little bit of knowledge about social justice. Um, But leading me to Google, uh, they actually reached out to me um, because my major was so aligned with HR. Um, Yeah, and they had opportunities in Mountain View where I work, Um, but I was from the East Coast, so it was a little bit scary to make that jump. Because you have Google offices out there in Boston, New York, I'm sure. They do, but all the hiring seasons are different for different offices and headcount limitations, so I decided to take the plunge (laughs) and move out west, so that's why I'm here. (laughs) To To Palo Alto or Mountain View? I live in San Francisco. 
Oh, you commute the other so way. So I commute, yeah. I do the reverse commute. Um, I know you guys have a really great bus. We do. So I can't complain. Like, Wi-Fi, luxury, yeah. like, coach buses. Is it, like, only an hour or so? You can it's, get work done. It could be, like, an hour and a half each way. Um, but it's ca- not Can you that count bad. that as Google time? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So That's actually great. really cool. Yeah, not too bad. I'd rather that than the Muni, I think. <laughs> you I, use the Muni, don't you? I actually have ended up... So I did the sim commute for mm-hmm. my first three years here. Um, I remember we talked about it. Yeah, about it. and even though even though it is a great bus, picks you up. Generally, there's stops no matter where you live, pretty close by. Um, but it's tough because uh, in the end, it's maybe about four hours each day dedicated to commuting in some form, whether you're waiting for the bus or on the bus. Um, and so. I was lucky enough to get a San Francisco desk, um, and now my commute is actually biking to work um, along. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, so I don't have to deal with Muni. Um, <laughs> definitely changes <laughs> changes the typical day uh, quite a bit. Um, but yeah, that's my, that's my commute. <laughs> yeah, what was your journey to Google? Or actually, you started at YouTube. Uh, no, so I actually started at Google with Google Fiber, um, and Google Fiber was is Google's effort to build internet to the home. Um, so competing with Comcast, AT&T, instead of paying them, you'd be paying 100 bucks a month to Google for... Uh, I found this on the web. <laughs> <laughs> My phone's listening. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Google. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so Google Fiber uh, you was Google's effort to bring internet to the home. And it was. Are they, have they abandoned it? It was ramped down. Um, <laughs> It still exists. Was it, was it pivoted? And so it, it was pivoted. Um, it still exists in some cities where they rolled it out, uh, and it is serving customers, but uh, expansion plans have faltered. And so when those fell through, I actually transferred to YouTube. So what was that city? Was it like Kansas or Kansas City? Kansas City. wired the entire city? Yeah, Kansas City is up and running. Salt Lake City, I believe, too. Um, I think Atlanta and Nashville. Um some I know some of the fiber routes have been sold off to competitors. Yeah, uh, Comcast. Yep. The devil. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, and so yeah, that and then after Google Fiber, that's when I, as Google Fiber ramped down, then mm-hmm. I transferred to YouTube. And so, what was your journey to Google in the first place? Uh, I studied civil engineering at at school, and, and where'd you go? <laughs> I went to USC. University of Southern California. Yeah, I mean, yep. Don't say as opposed to. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, enjoyed enjoyed studying civil engineering at USC, but <laughs> wasn't set on wasn't set on going into construction or civil engineering design. Uh, delved into technology consulting, and then Google reached out at that point because I had sort of a weird mixture of construction, civil engineering experience, and data analysis from consulting. So this is interesting. Like, in both of your cases, Google found you. HR found their HR person. Mm-hmm. And who recruited you? Uh, for me, it was uh, just a Google Fiber recruiter. Um, so somebody's job is just to scour I th- LinkedIn? or LinkedIn, networks. and I think I had, in college, I think I'd applied to an internship at Google just because that would, why not? Yeah. Um, so they had my resume, <laughs> an old resume on file, and I think he checked in with me and was curious just where I was at. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's how I got <laughs> eventually interviewed and somehow made it through. Cool. And I think for me, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm on a very different side of Google here at Google cloud, um, focused on 
data center uh, construction and how we balance our data center workloads. Um, so PSF has been, and getting into recruiting for the PSF, it's been a way more people-focused outlet for me, which I really appreciated. Because mm-hmm. um, otherwise, uh, I think like you mentioned earlier, I could definitely be one of those, basically a programmer staring at a screen all day. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it's nice to have a good, a good balance that you can get through PSF. Do you have an opener for your podcast? Oh, there you go. No, so we need it. Yeah, we'd love to have some kind of audio branding. I think so. I, I would agree. <laughs> I think yeah. what do you call it? Sonic yeah. branding or something like that? Yeah. Like every every podcast I listen to has like some, it's a little audio thing and the, and the voices come in. And we, we may not out, or when I say audio thing, little tune. And then also maybe uh, it would, ha- not that you have to stick to that sort of agenda, but I think it would set the scene for the people that are eventually going to watch the pod or listen to the podcast. If you say, hey, I'm Derek, I'm here at YouTube, and today we're talking about XYZ, da 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 da. And like we may not even stick to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, then eventually when you edit and cut, it focuses on that, and then uh, viewers are cued in. So speaking of editing and cutting, yeah. you can actually cut this section yeah. and maybe post it on the Google website to get some Googlers to help with the, A, the sonic branding, and even the messaging, like mm-hmm. how to introduce it. Yep. Do you guys uh, have, at, at YouTube, are there... Um, that, I, we like, need more people like Fritz. <laughs> uh, we need more people like Fritz who know exactly how to edit, and uh, they work. I think they tend to work a lot with the creators. So in addition to all the roles you're doing now, you are mentoring someone, aren't you? Uh, I mentored Francisco through Calculus One. Um, he got a B plus. Nice, well done. Yeah. Uh, so, like, how much of it <laughs> did he could he do on his own, and did he really need you? I don't think he needed me that much, but there were a few tricky conceptual things. Uh, I think integrals specifically, he was having trouble with chain rule, um, okay. which is actually derivative, but. Um, he was having trouble doing... Just stuck on one thing. Yeah, yeah. One, one little thing. And I guess what, through our email conversation through JPay, um, really what he needed was he's in he's in there with maybe just one textbook, no internet access. Yeah. I had opportunities. I refreshed myself on chain rule through YouTube videos. Yeah, exactly. Uh, pulled a few Google images, uh, went through step-by-step on how to go through a chain rule problem. And then refresh their memory. Like, I remember this. Exactly, yeah. And then, so because I had access to all these resources, it was sort of like, okay, condense all this into one email, send yeah. it back to him, and then I think he got it. And I think we had, I don't know, 20, 30 emails back and forth over, <laughs> our, over our time. But um, You kind of... Our on-site liaison for Google. What's your what's your favorite part of what you do for us? Favorite part has been, uh, well, there's two things that I really enjoy, and I think I've already touched on one of them: the mentoring aspect. Uh, really liked working with Francisco through Calculus One. Um, I think that also comes from I have a little brother, so a little bit of mentoring uh, with him over the years, um, and adjusting that style to an incarcerated student is pretty interesting. And then also only being able to do it over email is another challenge um, in itself. But Does he ever jump on the phone with you? Uh, he never, we, we weren't able to. Yeah. Um, so I like the mentoring aspect. And then the other part that kind of keeps me going is when, like Michelle's a great example, when I get another Googler involved, um, it's kind of a, mul- it's, it's a multiplying effect. Uh, and I think we've had a few other pretty dedicated volunteers in the past. I know um, for the last, it was Google, it wasn't Google Serve, but basically our fundraiser um, in November. Google Give or whatever. Google, yeah, Google Give. And we had another YouTuber who got very involved and did handle all the postings. Oh, was that Max? Yeah. Yeah, Max was great. Yeah. 
Um, so when we're able to loop someone in and they, maybe it's a very tactical thing, one-off or someone that wants to be involved longer term, um, definitely a synergistic effect. Yeah, well, <laughs> super happy to have you. <laughs> so what, what about you, Michelle? What do you love most? Um, well, I can answer the best part thus far yeah. besides this. This is great. Um, <laughs> is this your first podcast? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> first podcast. Yeah. That's big. Um, when I first started playing around with the AdWords campaigns that were running, um, I kind of watched the results overnight just skyrocket with like our impressions. So how many times um, our ads are shown to users or our information is, is shown to people searching? Just like quadruple in views and um, even better, our clicks just shot up as well. So people actually seeing the messaging, being interested. So. Yeah, just growing that user base is so important um, to have people just find out about PSF, and it looks like we're heading in that direction. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. And that's, re- that's a really great kind of a segue to how do you measure the impact of volunteering? Like in your case, it's pretty, mm-hmm. you have some pretty great metrics you can track. You say, hey, they got two clicks when I came on, and then I came on board, and now they have 50 or whatever it is. Um, I guess you can kind of track your student, you know, mentoring a student, you can count how many students you're mentoring. Yeah, I think the mentorship is more like the one-off kind of painting a fence or, but maybe I'll keep in contact with Francisco. I don't know. I can see how much it would would be great just if we build a relationship over, check in every once, every few months or whatever it is. Um, But uh, maybe I impact one life versus (laughs) helping out all PSF as an organization. So what motivates you the most? Then, uh, to, I mean, you've uh, this is your life's passion. Uh, yeah. What you've seemed to only be focused on now that you're uh, out and to sort of maybe walk us through what keeps you going, what motivates you. Yeah, and that's actually a really good question because sometimes, sometimes I'll fantasize about just quitting this whole thing <laughs> and getting a job at Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> Even though just recently I found out they don't hire felons, so I don't know if I would be welcome there. Oh. But the point mm-hmm. is, I just kind of want. Sometimes I dream of a job where I just show up for eight hours a day, I get a paycheck, and I go home. It's and not too bad. Home, everything's, <laughs> there's nothing else to worry about. Yep. But just recently, a really great story was Robert Wood is getting out of, or he just got out of prison, and he's supposed to be up here today, but his probation officer wouldn't let him come. So he had done, or he got sentenced to 25 years to life for crack cocaine. So he had the opportunity to get resentenced on the First Step Act. Like in a way, we, we did a jailbreak. Um, is very few prisoners that have the opportunity to go in front of a judge to get resentenced. But when that does happen, all of these things, these things, these programs he's run through, that's part of the the lever that gets him out. Mm-hmm. So when you think of when you think of that, it's like short of that one thing happening, he's doing eight more years in prison. That's not so great. Well, and now it sounds like, especially if you looked at it from a full. I don't know, a full system view. Um, you could pay as a as a taxpayer. You're paying for eight years in prison, and that's expensive to have, have prisoners in prison. Whereas if you fund the education up front, gets out of prison, um, hopefully gets, uh, and it sounds like he is already in the process of getting a great job, and actually starts generating taxes and paying back mm-hmm. um, versus eating up sort of tax dollars. He's generating tax dollars. So from a, a big overview government perspective. Um, I would think that's a huge ROI, a huge ROI gain. Um, yeah, that's, that's funny because 
There's been a couple of studies that talk about that. One is a RAND Corporation study, which shows the odds of coming back decreased by 43%, and the odds of getting a job increased by 13% through prisoner education. And they show that every dollar invested in prisoner education returns four to five back to society. But that's a really, really conservative estimate because they only add up the direct costs of basically housing a prisoner. Um, the Washington State Institute for Public Policy shows one dollar invested in prisoner education returns 1980 back to society. They kind of added, they kind of looked at m different costs and a broader section of costs. Um, but both of those study, they only look at avoided costs. They don't talk about what's the value of a person coming out of prison. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're working <laughs> at Home Depot, or maybe you start a company and hire 30 people. How do you measure that impact? It's like we're talking that? about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like our very first podcast was with David Israel, and he started a company. I think he's got 18, 18 employees now, and he's global. He's doing that plant-based cheese Hawaii? company. Hawaii? Is he, is he in Hawaii, or is that a different one? No, he's in Greece. Okay. Oh, we had You're talking about a D Kent Stone who yeah. was working. I remember that video. Yeah, he was okay. one of our prison scholars. He got out, and he he had a company, Hawaiian Labor Contracting. So he hires returning citizens to do labor work. So yeah, so instead of just not being in prison yourself, a lot of these people are doing things to help other people, pay taxes. <laughs> Not great cost, and yeah, so that's a that's a pretty good win. Yeah. Do you know the monetary value that PSF has been involved with with past scholars? Yeah, so we added that up for 2018, and I think the number was 526,000. When people say, "Hey, I just spent 250 thousand dollars to put my daughter through through college. Why should a prisoner get a free education?" And kind of the answer to that question is, that we're only talking about the Pell Grant. So the Pell Grant can almost fund generally entire college education for a prisoner. It doesn't really fund entire college education for people in the free world because they need housing and room and board and like all, all these other things. And the Pell Grant's only about six grand a year. Um, and the other thing is the Pell Grant is needs-based. So everyone in America that is a low income gets the Pell Grant. So it's not like prisoners oh. are taking the Pell Grant away from anyone else. Everyone okay. gets it. And the prisoner Pell Grant allocation of the budget is so small. I think it's half of 1%. This came out during the war on drugs. So, so they said, you know, the tough on crime rhetoric. Mm -hmm. Like, we want to be tough on crime, so let's be tough on criminals and take away all these programs. Mm -hmm. Well, if you actually want to be tough on crime, you increase funding for programs, and they probably won't come back. Or they're <laughs> less likely to come back. Mm -hmm. Well, you end up punishing people, the individuals, instead of actually the problem. That's exactly, that's yeah. it, yeah. yeah. So, Michelle... So since, you, since you're doing AdWords for us, that's not really what your HR job is. Do you want to do AdWords in the future? Yeah, so I actually work in People Ops, which is HR in Google, um, and I work on the recruiting side. So with candidates and the external side of that. Um, and I'm really interested in marketing in, in my future. So I've kind of tried to combine that with my current job. So kind of looking at the unique perspective that people and understanding an audience brings to marketing. Um, and I think that's just a great people skill to have, is understanding how people work, how to reach them, how to appeal to them, and how to match them to their interests. In a way that kind of fits in perfectly with recruiting too, because mm -hmm. you're reaching out to someone, trying to get them to take an action, which you're doing now through AdWords for the PSF, obviously a different end goal, but it's the same idea of how do you find that person, mm -hmm. um, figure out who's going to actually click or go through with whatever you're trying to drive them towards. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, all right. I, we can probably wrap it up. We're getting pretty close to the, 
Okay. So thank you yeah. so much for volunteering for the Prison Scholar Fund. What kind of messaging would you want to communicate to anybody listening about why you're why you do what you do and why you're helping us? You want to go for it? Uh, you want to start? Sure. <laughs> um, yeah. So for me, uh, the biggest draw has been being able to recruit other volunteers, and then I really enjoyed mentoring uh, some of the prison scholars. It's a great outlet, really rewarding, um, and Dirk is great to work with. It's a Thank fun you. organization to be a part of. I'll take that. Yeah. Michelle? Yeah, I would say similarly, you both are great to work with. Um, I am really excited to see PSF grow. Um, I think there's so much potential to reach a huge audience and yeah, be able driving to, it, yeah. Yeah, being able to work on a marketing strategy is super rewarding to see people getting to see our name and getting to see what we do and how we're different. Um, and I think PSF is just such a unique animal that really puts the attention on education being fundamental to reentry into society and reducing recidivism, which is a huge problem. Um, yeah, well, it, it's been you. really thank good. You. <laughs> Trevor Weisler, Michelle DiGilio, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Derek. All right.